So hi, uh, this is Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast where we talk about beginnings, the beginnings of companies, the beginnings of uh, new technology, science, uh, maybe aspects of careers, and even maybe a little look at the beginnings of the future. And uh, today, I'm uh, really happy uh, to be here with uh, Melanie Travis, uh, who is the CEO of Andy Swimwear. Uh, one of uh, our uh, digital brand investments. And hi. Hey, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, really excited to chat with you today. I'm happy to. You know, it's kind of uh, ironic in a way. We're sitting here in a conference room in New York. It's like 20 degrees outside, freezing, talking about uh, talking about bathing suits. But um, that's the way it goes sometimes. So uh, you're in the swimwear business. Uh, why are you in the swimwear business? Out of that happen. And maybe uh, it'd be worth giving uh, folks a little sense of uh, your background because this is not your first rodeo. Yeah, of course. So um, yeah, maybe I'll kick it off by by giving you a bit about my background. Um, I have really uh, spent my entire career in the New York City uh, venture startup world. I started my career at Foursquare. Um, back in the heyday, I was like, you know, there weren't even 100 employees there yet. Um, and then from Foursquare, I went on to uh, Kickstarter, which is the crowdfunding platform. Um, and I joined Kickstarter again, early days. We were working out of an apartment on the Lower East Side. Um, now, of course, they have this beautiful building in Brooklyn. Um, and after Kickstarter, I moved over to uh, BarkBox, um, or, or the name is Bark, but it's best known for BarkBox, the monthly box of toys and treats. Um, and throughout, I've always been on the sort of you know marketing, community, brand building, um, customer acquisition side of things. So that's sort of my background and um, it, my professional background and my my sort of personal story is that like you and probably anybody listening, I like to vacation and I like to go to places where I can, you know, go to a beach, a pool, relax. Um, and, and so those often require bathing suits. Uh, but I've just always struggled every single vacation to find a swimsuit that like is easy to shop for, is easy to wear. Um, it's a it's an incredibly frustrating uh, shopping experience. And actually, this kind of all came to a head. This is where the two stories sort of dovetail, but it, it came to a head um, in one summer at BarkBox. We were going on a on a work retreat, as many of these sort of venture-funded uh, companies often do, and we were going to a lake in upstate New York, and I went out to look for a bathing suit for that trip, and I couldn't find one scouring New York and online. And once we were on the retreat, I was speaking with many of my female um, colleagues and, and friends who work at the company and realized I was really hearing this chorus of voices saying like, yeah, swimsuit shopping sucks. And in fact, some of my colleagues didn't even bring a swimsuit on that trip because they just couldn't find anything that they would feel comfortable and confident in. Um, and as someone who spent my whole career in sort of disruptive consumer internet companies, I was like, everyone's saying this. It must mean that there's a gap in the market. There must be an opportunity here. Um, so I ran a crowdfunding campaign for Andy before it was even called Andy, just to get a sense of whether women would truly be interested in this idea of a, a sort of curated collection of, of beautiful, classic, timeless silhouettes um, offered direct to consumer with free shipping and free returns, just swimwear shopping simplified. Um, and uh, that that's kind of how this whole thing was born. Um, obviously, the crowdfunding campaign was you know, huge success. I know my way around, you know, the metrics of a crowdfunding campaign from my time at Kickstarter. And it was, uh, uh, it was so good that I turned to my wife and I was like, I think I need to quit my day job and do this. And she was like, please don't do that. Um, but I did. And so far so good. So here we are. 
Got it. Yeah. And I've heard that story. Oh, and, great. Uh, you know, uh, in uh, when we first met and in other uh, contexts, when you've uh, done interviews, mm-hmm. done uh, a podcast. But uh, what was interesting for me when I hear that story and when I hear it now is it's great, but that's actually not why we put money in your company. <laughs> Good to know. Um, and so maybe we can go down a little deeper mm-hmm. because the reason we gave you, because that's true of you, but it might well be true of, I don't know, a dozen companies, two mm-hmm. dozen companies sure. that they saw, you know, women supporting women and guys yep. thinking about bathing suits have a different framework mm-hmm. and comfort and all that stuff. The thing that caused us to put money in your companies is you have a lower cost base <laughs> I for do. manufacturing those swimsuits yep. than anybody. Yes. I mean, by a lot. By massive, massive amounts. And so let's talk about that a little bit. Why did you do that? How did that occur to you as being uh, fundamental? Because we've seen a lot of folks in digital brands and a lot of folks in digital fashion brands, mm-hmm. and many of them don't have that operational insight. You did. Yeah. So I think part of that sort of operational insight, as you called it, comes from my lack of background in sort of fashion and product, um, which, you know, sometimes they say naivete is the best, you know, way to start something. Um, I knew so little about product and fashion that I, what I did know is that I needed to partner with someone who did know about that. And so I went out. So by the way, quick, sort of also background, you know, my professional career is in New York and I also grew up in New York. So I have a lot of sort of contacts and big, big network in New York and um, where we're sitting right now, we're in the heart of the garment district. And so I went basically door to door in the garment district, just pulling every, every resource I had in my network to connect with um, some of the biggest swimwear manufacturers that there are out there. And I would go into these offices, much like the room where we're sitting right now and say like, Hey, I am really good at digital marketing, customer acquisition, brand building. I spent my entire career doing that. I know my way around, you know, the the customer acquisition channels on, you know, um, I know my way around the sort of digital landscape and the customer acquisition playbook. What I don't know is is product, and I don't. I mean, honestly, I didn't even know how you begin to make a swimsuit. Um, I just knew the sort of aesthetic that I was interested in. So um, I went basically door to door chatting with these manufacturers and pitching this idea of, I will, you know, build this brand uh, that women love, that resonates with women. um, And you guys handle the production of it. Basically, the idea was essentially having a a co-founder as a manufacturer. So by partnering with the manufacturer um, as as essentially a co-founder of the business, you get a number of of benefits. One is, of course, that expertise in making and manufacturing swimwear. Um, Two is by offering sort of co-founder level equity, you're getting a a cost edge, you're getting um, really unbeatable margins because you don't have, so typically, you know, a manufacturer will work with a brand um, that's starting out. The brand will come knocking on the door and say, I want to buy 5,000 swimsuits from you. And the manufacturer will make them and put, you know, a margin on top of it. That's just the way the world works. Uh, But when the manufacturer is the co-founder of the company, that margin goes away. So that is what enables a direct-to-consumer brand like Andy to scale dramatically because we don't have to contend with those um, added margins, which is to say we have enough sort of buffer between our co- our hard costs for the product and the cost to acquire a customer where you know we can just keep investing in acquiring customers because we have the margin to do so yep. um so that that was really a, that's the, this huge moat that Andy has that you yeah. guys saw and yeah and, and that's part of our uh 
investment thesis mm -hmm. in the space. And one of the reasons why we got into this space, uh, you know, we do a lot of research. We look at what's going on in the markets and what options as investors we might have to produce return. And uh, a couple of things popped up in our world uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago. And, and you were one of the really emblematic companies related to those. One was this emergence of uh, digital brands that had margins that looked like software companies. Yeah. So back in the part of my family was in the rag trade. Oh, uh, wow. So we had that's cool. the nerd side of the family and the rag trade side of the family, Bobby Brooks clothes and all that. Oh, kind of my stuff. God, that's awesome. But, you know, when I was a kid with those cousins, they didn't have these kinds of margins. There was no such thing yep. as a plus 50 percent gross mm -hmm, margin, mm -hmm. even higher than that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. gross margin uh, rag trade business. Yeah. And seeing businesses with uh, these kinds of products and those kinds of margins uh, and the uh, capacity to get to the customer directly and not to have to give the margin away to Joe and Harry and Sam. In the distribution channel, that struck us as really interesting for those reasons. You can market, you can experiment, you can do a lot yeah. with that margin. Absolutely. And it's really, it has two really crucial benefits. You know, one is the margin, which enables us to, you know, scale rapidly and have these sort of enterprise um margins that will help, you know, along the entire journey of the, of the company. But the other piece of it, that's also really crucial is that, you know, starting a direct to consumer brand of any kind, um, is, it's really hard. I mean, it's, it's really hard. That shouldn't be sort of undervalued. Um, and I think one thing that, um, people get stuck on is that when you're, when you're first starting a company, if you don't have, um, a, a partner on the sort of supply chain side, um, you have to figure out both. You have to figure out both the supply chain, the production, that, that whole side of the house, which by the way, is extremely complex in any, in really in any industry. And obviously I'm speaking apparel and that, that area. Um, and then you have to figure out the sort of what we would call the front of the house, the marketing, the put, getting the brand out there. And doing both of those things well is incredibly difficult. And, um, when you compound that challenge with not having good margins, so, you know, putting you basically essentially underwater on every first order, um, it, it, I mean, I don't know, I guess if I, I like this, you know, maybe I'll eat my words one day, but I feel like I'm someone who would not be bullish on direct to consumer or e-commerce given those challenges, unless there's that hook. Um, yep. so. and that understanding. So, uh, you know, there are uh, folks listening to this who might be, uh, uh, entrepreneurs or who are thinking about being entrepreneurs who might wonder, so what happens in these meetings when, it, when an investor meets an entrepreneur for the first time, when's that moment when the uh, penny drops, a uh, light bulb goes off, whatever. And uh, in my case, I remember we met at like breakfast or post-breakfast yeah. or yeah. something like that exactly. here. And, uh, um, and I sat down, I think I may have asked you two or three questions, but you went immediately to unit economics. Yeah. You, it was, uh, you were giving me a uh, graduate course <laughs> in the unit economics of your business. And for us, the unit economics are everything. Yeah, every time you make a suit, every time you sell a suit, um, how much do you hang on to? What are you going to do with that money to get somebody else who buys a suit and um, who comes back? And, and you were by 
your nature, your training, whatever. You were thinking that way. You'd set the company up that way. And nine times out of 10, we're having to tell the entrepreneur it's a good idea to think that way, that revenue is great, but unit economics is like a whole lot greater. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm always sort of shocked when people are just talking about revenue because someone might say, oh, you know, I did, you know, I don't know, $50 million this year. But then what you haven't heard is that they spent $200 million to make that $50 million. And suddenly that $50 million is not interesting anymore. So you're um, out there and yep. uh, uh, you're selling uh, swimwear mm-hmm. to women, mm-hmm. but one, there's a lot of different kinds of things that are called swimwear. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of different kinds of human beings called women. So <laughs> yeah. how'd you decide then and what's happened since you got started related to what's your definition of swimwear and who is this really for? So, yeah. you know, ultimator or a 19 year old uh, who's nervous about itsy bitsy teeny weeny bikinis or yeah, great question. Um, I remembered what I was going to say before, so I'm just going to start there. Um, my last company, as you know, I was, I was at BarkBox, which is a subscription company. And the sort of key thing is that a subscription company versus a you know not a subscription company, you have to have very different unit economics and you have to have very different, um, you have to hold yourself to very different CPAs, uh, cost per acquisition. So um, when you're a subscription company, because you're going to get paid back over time on your initial acquisition cost, you can typically afford a higher initial acquisition cost um, because you know the lifetime value is it should be, I mean, unless your churn is too high, is going to be, um, you know, is going to be good. Uh, but for a company like Andy, we focus on being profitable, obviously, uh, in the first order and, and by quite a margin. And so what I mean by that is, and, and what sort of makes the company really um, interesting and, and I think really you know promising for for our growth too is that um, not only are we we hold ourselves to be profitable on every first order net of returns so obviously in any apparel category but probably especially in maybe lingerie and swim or swim more so than lingerie you have to contend with returns fit is very important etc um, so we need to be we know our return rate so we need to be profitable on first order because we're not a subscription company and there are a lot of direct to consumer companies out there that will just they're basically wrapping dollar bills around their product as they send it out. So that's one thing that we hold ourselves to. You know, we haven't been around for that long. And so we're just starting to look at sort of cohort data, LTV, things like that. And one thing that we're finding is that in any given month, about 20% of our purchases come from repeat customers. And that's just gravy on top of everything else. So, so that it's the benefits really compound themselves. So just to make sure we're uh, talking uh, in ways that folks uh, yeah, sure. are listening. Not everybody may understand cohort and cohort mm. analysis. Mm-hmm. So uh, explain what you mean by that and you know, LTV, lifetime value and all that. So why is that so important to the company? Yeah. So a cohort, a cohort analysis would be you, you look at your cohort data. So it's groups of customers when they acquired, we look at it on basically a quarterly basis. Um, and when, so, so one cohort, for example, would be Q1 2019. Um, and then we will look over time at the, all those people that purchased in Q1 when they come back and purchase um, again and how much they spend. And that way we can start to understand the likelihood of a, of a given customer and a given cohort, uh, how much money we're going to get from that customer over time. And so if it costs us, you know, X number of dollars to acquire a customer, but now we know, okay, that customer is going to spend, we know their AOV, so their average order value on first purchase. And now we're starting to understand 
by building you know, future projections, how much we're going to get from that customer in two quarters, in three quarters, in eight quarters from now, et cetera. Um, and so then that, that, just, that, that, that just enables us to be a lot smarter about our marketing decisions, where we want to invest our dollars, how many dollars we can invest, and things like that. And how deep are you going? Are you uh, doing like massive recursions? In other words, you have folks who bought in Q1. Mm-hmm. How many of them were left-handed Republican women who went to Catholic school? <laughs> how many of them had fathers who didn't understand them? How many of them have been divorced oh, twice? Funny. I mean, you never know, yeah. right? Where the correlation that, oh my God, all totally. these people actually buy like crazy and those other yeah. people who look the same yeah. and live next door never show up again. Interesting. That's a That's a great question. So the short answer would be no, we're not yet looking at you know, d- deeply into each cohort like that. But what I will say is that we spend a lot of time looking at um, who who is buying and um, what type of customer is buying more versus less. Um, and so we are definitely laser focused. I mean, at Andy, we're really proud of knowing you know exactly who our customer is, um, and 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 that enables us to be really efficient on our first you know first acquisition costs. Another. Uh- aspect of this was intriguing uh, to me when we first met. Mm -hmm. Another part of our investment thesis, and this really came to the attention. So I'm an old guy, right? Gray hair, been at this a long time. (laughs) My partner's an old guy, like old white guy, Mm -hmm. and uh, which is fine. And we want to be meritocratic and all that, but we have young female partners Mm -hmm. in the fund. And one of the things that began to radiate uh, out to us from them mm-hmm. was this sense of really starting a little bit before uh, the Me Too movement mm-hmm. broke out. So mm-hmm. to us, the Me Too movement was an expression of mm-hmm. this, not the start of it, mm-hmm. was this sense of women forcefully supporting women mm-hmm. in everything, having anything to do with being a woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when we met you, there was also an aspect of that mm-hmm. here. And so I wonder, is there really an element of sisterhood here? In other words, that this is an outfit that gets it, that's not trying to exploit me or put me in a position where I'm more likely to be exploited and I'm telling you about it, sister, because we should all do this together. Do you pick up any of that? Or is that actually kind of sexist itself that I presume that since you're a woman, you're going to be getting more womanly response as opposed to the heck of it. It doesn't matter whether you're a woman or not, you're a merchant. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a, that, yeah, that's a great point. Really. Um, obviously, you know, timely thought. I think, you know, when I think about something like that, the first place my head goes is uh, to to our product itself and the way that we design and, and think about the type of product that we want, um, because that's really where all of this sort of originates from. And I think, you know, one thing that makes a swimsuit or a swimsuit company sort of uniquely positioned in this sort of Me Too movement um, is that, you know, when a woman is wearing a swimsuit, it's the most naked she'll ever be in public. Um, Because, I mean, obviously there's lingerie, but typically a woman is not really wearing lingerie in public. Um, And so that makes, that makes swimwear itself, you know, sort of uniquely, um, uniquely vulnerable item. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about that. And on the product side, you know, the reason I started this whole company is because I, I just always struggled to find a swimsuit that I feel confident and comfortable in. And I don't mean, you know, like a matronly swimsuit that has like a little skirt at the bottom and like, whatever, that's not my style. But I I also don't want, you know, like a speedo or a Nike that's like designed for, you know, epic performance lap swimming. I just want something where I feel confident, but I look good. Um, and, and, and that I think goes right to the heart of this. And that's where I think, you know, that that's why this product 
is just working so like, yes, we're very good at marketing and studying cohort analyses and all of these things to optimize our business, but we have a really good product that women love. And there's a little bit of this, like, I don't know if sisterhood is the right word, but you know, when women are out on the beach or at a pool and they're wearing an Andy swimsuit, we're starting to hear these sort of, um, uh, recognition things that are happening. Like, oh, she's wearing an Andy. And, oh, oh, she's wearing an Andy. She gets it. Oh, we're in, we're like, we, we get each other. And, and, and there's this like, um, yeah, there's this sort of aspect to it that's building and growing. And I think, you know, again, the reason why it's really like truly working so well is that women just feel really great. And, and there's no, like, you know, these aren't skimpy string bikinis that are objectifying or anything. And, and that's where it sort of dovetails into our marketing. I mean, I, you know, I would challenge you or anybody to Google image search swimsuit or, you know, if, go, if you go on Giphy, for example, we just discovered this and we were horrified. If you go on Giphy and you search swimsuit, it's all like, like women wearing basically nothing against, you know, rocks with like waves splashing on them. It's such a like male fantasy. And, um, it, it has nothing to do with like the, the way a woman actually wants to like look and feel. Um, and it's, it's completely dominated by, you know, the male idea of woman in a swimsuit. And, and so that's what we're also trying to change here. And so we're going to be submitting, uh, images to Giphy that are much more empowering. And we're, we're doing a lot with Google to make sure that searches show, um, you know, women feeling great and looking great and living their best lives and their swimsuits. And this is, yeah, snowballs from there. Yeah. It, uh, that makes sense to me. And, and, uh, I have to admit that, uh, I understood that at one level, sort of this intellectual level of, yeah, I get it. I say, yeah, that makes sense. And then, uh, just a few weeks ago when, uh, all the women in Congress showed up mm -hmm. dressed in white, yeah, there was an image that kind of went far and wide, uh, uh, Octavia Cortez, yeah, the, the new congressperson from here in New York, in that outfit, shoulders back, yep, yep. you know, eyes yeah. forward, and um, literally sort of, I'm not sure strutting is the right word, but sure. yeah. um, 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 impelling herself yeah. forward into the House chamber. Um, and some of the male pages. Yeah, were, uh, oh, I saw that, and, yeah. Uh, and I thought to myself, that's put those clothes empowered yeah. her. Absolutely. That, and, yeah. and those guys could feel it. Yep. And she knew they could feel it. Yeah. And there was a whole power exchange going on there yeah. in like 12 seconds of walking 100%. by. 100%. And I can imagine the same thing as yeah. here, that if you walk out on a pool deck and you're like, yeah. I own this deck. Yeah people will feel it. Yeah. And you can just be comfortable. I mean, women have been so like balled up in their swimsuits because they're worried to like splay their legs or their arms out or whatever, or run after their dog. And, and in an Andy swimsuit, you can, you can do all of that. Um, so exactly. So, uh, uh, since we're here in court counselor and you raised the topic of dog, I can now <laughs> <laughs> question you in front of the judge on the topic of dog. Um, uh, yes. So, uh, uh, You've got uh, a wife, mm -hmm. but I have to admit, I've seen a heck of a lot more pictures <laughs> online of you and the dog than yes. you and uh, uh, and the wife. Yeah. And uh, one of the things we've noticed at the fund is uh, an extraordinary shift in the relationship between folks and their pets. And it's oh, an absolutely. area we're starting to get into because 
it's a family member. And in my sense, the dog is a family member. Oh, absolutely. Well, by the way, in, in, when we got married, in our in my vows, I'm pretty sure one of them was that I promised to love her as much as I love my dogs. So, yeah, just for a sense, that's, <laughs> you were spot on in your and did observation. did she reciprocate or did she just tolerate? She tol she tolerates. She <laughs> okay. tol she understands. <laughs> so this is your dog. The, that, well, it, that that part we'll fight about, <laughs> but she knows where my loyalties lie. Yeah, yeah, which is funny. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I was at BarkBox before I started Andy. So yeah, that so makes sense. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, that background. Yeah, it's it's the way that that you know, d like I I don't think I've heard anyone even say the word master in so long, and yet like I don't know, probably twenty years ago or or some amount of time ago that was that was common but i don't even say owner when people say i own my dog i get uncomfortable she's like i'm a parent yeah that's what it, and that's actually what we see in the research yeah uh, the emotional response to the death of a pet mm -hmm. is yeah. essentially analogous to the emotional response to the death of a child or a family member yeah. and uh, in product terms not to get away from what you guys no, are sure. doing we're seeing I want to be the best me I can be, mm -hmm. and I want all of my family members, including my non-human family members, absolutely. to be all of what they can be. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm bringing the same point of view toward quality and uh, sustainability, I mean, pet food, uh, pet uh, uh, medication, pet everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sarah is my dog. She's a member of the family, and I think the cruelest thing is really as you know, society has shifted and as these emotions towards, you know, our dogs have shifted, that dogs have such a short, you know, relative lifespan. And it used to be maybe not such a big deal because it was just a pet that lived outside, but now it's really changed. And I think, you know, I, I see it, you know, I see it in, in, in my Instagram feed and stuff. The death of a pet is, is it, is it can become like a life altering thing. And the thing is, it's inevitable when you get a dog. And so maybe there's something that people need to figure out there. Yeah. Well, it's inevitable <laughs> for all of us, but it may, right. may happen a little sooner. Right, right. Uh, so you use Instagram a lot, or you a did lot. when you started. Oh, so, yeah. So you get up tomorrow morning and Instagram is like gone, or <laughs> they've arbitrarily changed all the rules. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so what do you do? Great question. Um, I talk about this a lot, and this kind of goes back to the margin profile. Um, it is true, you know, maybe Instagram and Facebook won't disappear tomorrow, but um, it is true that the algorithms change constantly. Um, and then, you know, you can be flying high, having an amazing quarter or you know, whatever, and then suddenly the algorithms change and all your CPMs go way up and suddenly the business doesn't look like it did the last quarter. Um, and that's where also it's crucial to have a, you know, strong margin so that you have buffer against these types of sort of algo changes. So that is something I think about a lot. And I would say right now as a business, we are over indexed on Facebook and Instagram for sure. And we're over indexed on it because it, it just, it works really well. It's still, you know, for, for us, and I think for many direct to consumer brands, um, it's still the sort of best channel at scale. But, you know, one thing that we spend a lot of time doing here is every, we have, you know, every month we have goals for new channel testing and layering them in. And so we're constantly sort of rolling over the logs to see what interesting channels there are down there. And, and I believe there's actually a lot of untapped channels. Um, and so, so every month we test, we'll put aside a you know, piece of the budget to test a new channel. And if we're seeing CPAs that work for our business, we'll layer that into our sort of core marketing set. And if we don't, we kill it and move on to the next. Um, but, but there's a lot out there. Um, and so, so we're slowly making progress towards sort of changing our dis our sort of ratio of marketing dollars so that Facebook isn't and and when I say Facebook I mean Facebook and Instagram isn't quite so high right makes sense yeah you can't have the dependency right. you've got to be able to reach your 
customer, however. Exactly. So um, you worked at a number, last question. Mm, uh, sure. Uh, uh, before you got here. Yeah. And, and in lots of different roles. Mm -hmm. So entrepreneurs that are listening to us, uh, would you advise them to do the same thing? You know, come work in the kitchen before you try and be a chef, learn to chop vegetables, learn to make soup, learn to run all the dishwashing equipment and stuff? Or um, do you think for you that was kind of beside the point? Uh, oh, no, I, I highly recommend it. And, you know, before I even got into startups, I actually went to film school for graduate school to be uh, to pursue an MFA in film directing. And one thing that the school makes all the students do if they want to be a director is work on other uh, productions. And, they, and you have to every year you have to do every single other role, everything from PA, sound, boom operator, you know, whatever. Um, and that way, when you're a director, you can understand what the other roles are and, and you can be a better director because you know what goes into them and what types of qualities you need and et cetera, et cetera. And I think the same is absolutely true for running a company. Um, by having worked at all these other companies, I have a much deeper understanding of, you know, what, what all the roles entail, um, how to set goals and KPIs for those roles, how to hire for those roles. Um, and I know there are quite a few founders that graduate from school and start a company right away. And some of them are quite successful and um, more power to them. But I, I don't know how they do that because I really draw on my all my previous experiences. And I think, you know, I mean, Andy's had an incredible growth trajectory. And I really, this, I mean, I full heartedly believe that that would not have been possible if I didn't know, you know, every piece of this, not to mention at the beginning, you're kind of doing every piece too. And so you should probably know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Uh, what we find is, is always believing and always changing mm -hmm. is the yeah. characteristic of yeah. uh, one of my partners. And we didn't make this up is, is strong opinions weekly held, mm. uh, mm. which actually <laughs> came at, one, yeah. Mark Andreessen gets credit for, but I right. think it actually came from the uh, Institute of the future about a decade ago. And I think that's, that's a really strong concept. You, you have to believe, but you can't believe too much because yep. the world is smarter and more complicated than smarter than you are and more complicated than you think. So you have to, uh, recognize that and allow the world to smack you in the face sometimes. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks much. Always great to talk to you. I'm sitting here talking. I'm reminded uh, entirely about um, how impressed I was the first time we met and thank you. Uh, uh, why we uh, invested. And I'm delighted we did. So thanks a lot. 